Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysel and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at am1290kzsb.com. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with a personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you today? Well, you know, um, we had lunch today um, at uh, uh, a nice place, but... um, What's really sad is uh, it's it wasn't Opal. And if you remember years ago, before COVID hit, we used to go to Opal. And um, unfortunately, they don't have lunch anymore. I just I've I've always wondered why they stopped having lunch. We want to try to find out. What do you think of that idea? Well, you are in luck today, Neil, because we have with us. Richard Yates, who's the owner of Opal Restaurant and a board member for the downtown Santa Barbara organization. Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm happy to do that, Diane. Good to talk with you about that that challenging question, too. So So the first article I have today uh, is entitled The Biggest Shrinkflation Scandal. Oreo fans think cookies have less filling. Oreo fans uh, are perturbed in recent years by what some could feel to be one of the biggest inflation scandals to hit supermarkets. Double stuff Oreos with just normal amount of cream and even less than the original size versions. Turning the page. Betty Cooper of Lincoln, Nebraska said she and her husband have withstood many changes to their favorite foods recently from cereal to ice cream, but finding out what appeared to be a downsized dusting of cream in their double stuffed Oreos last month was the last straw. People have tried to unwind the mysteries of Oreo fillings. In 2013, a high school math teacher in New York spread headed spearheaded efforts in his classroom to measure the amount of cream in regular double and mega stuff Oreos. Double stuff Oreos came up short, according to the students, by offering just 1.86 times the regular Oreo. So this looks like it's a joke, but actually one of the sticky pots of inflation this day is foods. Uh, Everything else seems to be going down, including rents. Uh, food, and there was another article in the Wall Street Journal today about food is consistently going up because companies are no longer concerned about market share. What they're interested in is profit margins. But there's also this hidden inflation, which is that companies slowly uh, change either the size or the ingredients in products. And so even though the price may not rise, it's going to be more expensive per whatever uh, because of what this term is uh uh, 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 shrinkflation. I was going to say, my kids call it shrinkflation. That's exactly what they call it when they open the bag of chips, you know, the, yeah. the fun size or the kids' yeah. snack size, and there's like three chips in it instead of, I don't know, 10. So, do your kids read the Wall Street Journal also? They do not, but perhaps, perhaps they're writing for it behind my back. Who knows? And the next, uh, the next article is investors piled into cash piled cash into money market funds in 2023 and now could see a higher tax bill. And what this article is about is that over the last couple of years, actually five, six years, uh, interest on money market funds have been basically zero. But this year, uh, many markets, many, many money market funds have been paying 5%, which is a real number. So that people may be surprised that they're going to receive a uh, 1099 uh, at the end of the year representing tax taxes that are due on this on this real interest. Well, and that it will be something that's different that for investors because you know for the last gosh it feels like almost a decade we haven't seen much interest if any at all. In some cases it was 0.01, which you know no matter how much cash you have it very rarely triggers a 1099. And so I think it's it will be um you know one more piece of paper to gather when you get your ta- when you get all your 
your financials together for your tax preparer. The next article from the Wall Street Journal is entitled The Dullest $900,000 Book Around. And what they're talking about is the required uh, filing that every company has to uh, file with the SEC to uh, as a prerequisite for going public. And this has been around since I was on Wall Street, this you know uh, requirement. And um, what the article is saying is that it costs around a million dollars to produce this book and nobody reads it. So what's the point? Well, there is a point. And the point is that if you're sophisticated and smart, which is what I think is a prerequisite for making investment decisions, which unfortunately most people don't believe, it has everything you need to make an actual uh, 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 relevant analysis of a security before you buy it. And I think this is basically um, a example of why people are buying it, uh, stupid stocks, you know, whether it's uh, GameStop or AMC or even Bitcoin without really understanding what they're buying, is that when they have the opportunity to make an analysis uh, with a proxy statement, uh, they're saying it's not really worth the money. No one reads it anyway. Well, and I think if they if, if there was a happy medium, they could put it online and the people who wanted to read it could still have gain access as opposed to do the print book. Well, it is online. And what I found, you know, I used to teach at City College and I once took page 232 of the AIG uh, S1, which is what the filing is called. And I showed them uh, a paragraph that explained why their derivative portfolio was riskless. And of course, we all know now that it wasn't and that AIG, in fact, uh, almost went out of business without the help of the federal government. So if you are uh, if you understand finance and you really plow through these statements, it really can save you a lot of money. Uh, the next article, for, again, from the Wall Street Journal, non-traded REITs vary uh, net asset value measures. Now, what this is saying, net asset value is the value of the assets within, in this case, a, a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Uh, now, non-traded REITs um, are, as it's stated, they don't trade. Uh, they're almost like closed-end mutual funds. And so the NAV is not about taking public uh, real estate and adding them up, and therefore you have an NAV, it's basically estimating what the values are. And that's the problem. It's sort of like private equity. When you invest in something and the value of those assets are the values that are assigned by the company, there's always a question of whether those values are in fact accurate. Well, you know, and part of it is with non-publicly traded REITs that you're speaking of, you know, there's no... Um, there's no real reason to value them. And so oftentimes they don't value them because they they don't want to show investors that their investment has gone down. Now, the most reputable ones will actually value them on a somewhat regular basis, but it certainly is, is far from monthly and definitely not daily. And the last article I have is entitled... Plan to hike electric bills 29% sparks fury in Wyoming. And uh, there's now a proposed 29% hike in uh, utility costs to residents in Wyoming. And there's uh, public meetings where people are outraged and they're saying, and this is again, this is one of the reddest states, they're saying that the reason for the need for an increase in utility rates is because the uh, shift that took place in the last three years from coal, in many cases, to wind uh, has caused the, value, the, the, the cost of producing energy to go up. Now, the interesting thing is that's so far from the truth. Uh, first of all, coal plants account for 71% of electric produced in Wyoming, uh, which is down from 97% in 2003. Uh, but according to uh, the power company, it um, it it would have cost them twice as much uh, in terms of an increase had they not gone to renewables. And so the 
interesting thing is we have these arguments about you know renewable energy and what should be done but here we have a case where there is no question that the uh renewable energy plan that wyoming put into effect um is going to help because everyone is complaining uh the government is now saying we should they should uh, not permit these increases to go through. And I bring this article up, it's because the whole issue of the political divide, in this case, it's so clear uh, based on the numbers that this is a mistake and that in fact, it is helping the uh, users of electricity in Wyoming. Still, the political prejudices are such that they are going to try to A, slow down the, the conversion to win uh, wind uh, electric and uh, not permit the increase that's necessary from the electric companies. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. I didn't know it could do that. Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends, and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. And if you're just joining us, we have Richard Yates, who's the owner of Opal Restaurant, one of the cornerstones of our fabric of our society, if you will, in Santa Barbara. And he's also a board member of the Downtown Santa Barbara organization. Richard, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me, Neil and Diane. Happy to be here today. So let's talk a minute about how you became interested in food. What, you know, did you always think that, you know, that you wanted to open a restaurant or what made you want to take that leap? You know, I think there was actually... I won't say I wrote on the Damascus moment, but there was definitely a moment of, of uh, change when, as growing up as a kid in the 50s, late 50s, um, where fish sticks and Swanson's frozen dinners might have been the norm at home, to, to working in restaurants while I was going to school and then discovering how wonderful food was. So it was kind of an awakening at that point. And from that point on, when I started working in restaurants and discovered that uh, Things like lamb were amazing <laughs> and other foods that I would have never even dreamed of having before. So it just sort of awakened me to the whole culinary art that uh, 
that was available out there. And that just continued to grow over the years. So, so that was your way to rebel against your family, you know, as, as the, the advent of um, TV, frozen TV dinners came, you were like, heck no, never, not what I want. <laughs> no, I never thought it was rebellion. Just like a growth out of sort of, but, but a, a good point, but perhaps a subtle rebellion. Uh, yeah. So, so then what was your path to get you to, um, become the owner of Opal Opal and, you know, spend your life work, life work really in the, in the restaurant industry. And what prompted you to want to do that? You know, many of us all worked in restaurants going through college and, you know, acknowledge that, wow, you know, sorry, mom, but many people make better food than, than our moms perhaps. But, but what made you want to own that restaurant? Well, first I should mention that I'm co-owner with Tina Takaya, my partner. Uh, here, my business partner, who also owns Oku down down on the beach, and that's a great restaurant in its own right. But as for how the uh, the odyssey of, of becoming a restaurant owner was, it's simply continuing on that same path that you just mentioned. The idea that I worked in restaurants to support myself, and then as time went on, I realized, hey, like this is actually a really creative and interesting field to be in, and. It seemed like every point I moved to another place, I got bumped up. <laughs> I got bumped up in management until I finally ended up an owner, um, a co-owner in this case. So I think that's kind of uh, how I would put it in a nutshell. Right before we bought the restaurant that's now Opal, um, which was originally called Brigitte's because we bought it from Brigitte Gare, um, Tina, my partner here, and I were managing partners at the Palace, the Cajun restaurant, for four years, and that's where we kind of got ourselves seasoned enough to know what an owner needed to do and were able to take this over with a very little little difficulty in terms of knowing what to do and how to do it. So, you know, the restaurant business has one of the highest bankruptcy rates of any industry. And so, you know, I really do think you must have a secret <laughs> to have been able to keep Opal not only open, but also thriving for the last 30 years. What is I think, Yes, I think, well, let's first the challenges. The challenge is very slim profit margins. So, and you're always limited by the fact that you need to feel that for whatever level of restaurant you are, you're presenting a reasonable enough price to people that people feel they got the value of what they wanted to get. So that's a limiting factor, which has been more challenging in recent years with inflation. But we managed to thread that needle um, many, many times. But I would also say that it isn't only watching your costs. It's also many hats that a restaurant owner has to wear. You have to be a good psychologist. You have to think about your staff and, and how to, to get them to understand that what they do is critical to the success of the restaurant. You have to think about how your guests feel. You have to have manage all the relationships, and you have to be a good business person, and you have to be entrepreneurial and good in marketing. So if you can wear all those hats successfully, I believe you can you could be a successful restaurateur. But if you miss any one of those categories, it's easy. That's a very significant contributor to the fact of the many bankruptcies you referenced just now. But you know what's interesting? There there are a couple of restaurants that are opening uh, uh, in Montecito, uh, and the owners are non-restaurant people. They're they're investors, and I think that the probability of success, which is pretty low in the restaurant business is even lower when you have not just kind of an absentee owner, but you have someone that really isn't going to be there a hundred percent of the time. And even if they were, they really don't really know what they're doing. I think this is a business that you really have to be there. I would agree. It'll be harder. It's not impossible for a investor owner to succeed well, but then what you really need is you really need good staff selection. You need to have a good manager, who understands whatever you don't understand in order to, to put all those pieces together that I was referring to earlier. But yes, it can be done, but I agree with you, it's harder if you don't have somebody with that experience at a high level. And so, you know, bef before the show started, we were having a conversation, you know, just about how incredible the bread is at Opal and how you can, you know, really taste the difference that it's homemade. Now, do you find that in today's day and age, there's a premium for the consumer that's placed on all of those homemade items, as opposed to just using a, a local bakery to make the bread. I think you've hit on something that's important there, Diane. It's, yes, I do think that's true because 
it, it's always nice when people go, God, your bread is so good. And then you say, oh, well, we make it here fresh every day. And, they, and it's, it's just an extra level. Again, I think it goes back to what I mentioned before about everybody pursuing that they got uh, value for what, for what they came in and spent. Even though we don't charge for the bread, it's still part of the overall experience. And I think that's, may I add to my earlier answer, that creating a great experience for guests, not just managing relationships, is also key to making a restaurant successful. You want to feel welcomed. You want to feel that the people there want you to have a good time, want you to have a great meal. And that has to be genuine. It can't be, it can't be faked or forced. And we all feel it when you when you go in a place where that's not the case. So I think those are important things. And making as much as we can from scratch, which is pretty much everything, I think is a real important part of creating a uniqueness for the experience that people will come away remembering, wow, that was a great meal. You know, what I find to be interesting is not only are your meals great, but your ability to keep it consistent. So I've been a patron of yours, you know, since before you changed the name to Opal, actually. <laughs> you know, you bought it and you left your Brigitte's for a period we of go time. We back away, so we did. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And so what, what I think moreover than anything else is your ability to keep it consistent. And I've got to imagine that you've had some kitchen changes over the years, over the last 20 years or so, that how have you been able to keep your food so consistent, your service consistent, and it's all, you know, it, it's all delivered with a smile and in a way to make the customer really feel a, like a part of the family. Well, <clears throat> I think it comes back to relationship managing that I mentioned. Um, I can just give an example during COVID, which you might be curious about too. But when COVID hit, two things happened back in uh, March 2020 when nobody knew what was going to happen. But we knew we were going to have to close down dining inside. And there was no outside dining at that point. Um, so we decided that no matter what, we're here for the long haul, we're going to do food to go. And the second thing was we're going to keep our kitchen staff, even though we didn't have a whole lot of money. And the two reasons for that were, number one, we wanted them to have their jobs. Um, and that was an important consideration for us. And number two, when we hopefully would open up again one day, we wanted to be able to hit the ground running and have the same staff that we've always had. So that, I think, is the key to the, the uh, consistency that you talk about. We, we always value the kitchen. We always prioritize them to make sure that they were supported so that they would be there for us as well. And I think that's why we see that consistency, which is, I will say, probably one of the most meaningful compliments we get when somebody tells me that. So I appreciate to hear you're, that. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And we'll be right back. American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that Renee gave, it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank, and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The organization known as A Different Point of View uses aviation to engage, inspire, and transform underserved youth. Here's Lynn Houston. A lot of the youth we serve come from the juvenile justice system and lack the ability to believe in their self and their ability to succeed. We use flight lessons as the launching pad. We teach them basic aviation knowledge, aerodynamics, what makes an airplane fly, and the most awesome thing is we put them in the left seat of a Cessna 172. We put a professional flight instructor on the right and we teach them how to fly. We teach them how to become captains of their own lives. Now you tell me where you can find that anywhere in the region. You put some child who has never been farther than their neighborhood in an airplane, say your life matters and it's up to you. It's not anybody else's responsibility, it's yours. And I see transformation and transformation happens in that airplane. To learn more about A Different Point of View, go to a differentpointofview.org or call 805-698-6784. Welcome to Mark Schneidman's Radio Real Estate. I'm here with Talent on Loan from the California Department of Real Estate. Live Monday mornings at 11, rebroadcast Monday evenings at 9, Tuesday at 5 a.m., and Saturday at 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. 
Try to fit in some motoring with Mark. Fourth segment, of course, is the weekly multiple listing sales update. Oh, and also understanding your credit score. Stay tuned. I'll be back next time at this time for another edition of Mark Schneidman's Radio Real Estate. That's what I have to say. Thanks for listening and listing. Just remember, I can answer just about any question eventually. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So, so Richard, you know, as we come off... Um, you know, this, this trying time during COVID for the last three years, you know, I think it's fair to say that the restaurant industry was hit probably the hardest during that time. I know before the break, you mentioned, you know, you made a decision early on to keep your, um, your kitchen staffed and to do to go food. But how did you actually deal with that as a restaurant, just the emotional well being of it all? Because you have many of the same servers pre-pandemic now as as you know post-pandemic and so that's saying a lot in and of itself but what policies did you institute and how did you really make it work well that's a good question diane because it in those days everything was evolving like day by day almost sometimes we would get a new set of instructions we didn't know you know if we could had to wipe every surface down four times before we left the area or not so we were always getting new health directions. So mainly um, what we did was we had a small group that would come in and help us do to-go food. Uh, the kitchen staff, as I mentioned, we totally, completely continued to to fund them as they had been in the past. And the um, the transition to, to takeout was interesting because although we've always done it, it wasn't a, a main focus. So we just worked on getting that as good as possible. And you know, I, I will just say it, it's not quite what you asked, but it would I think it was a real benefit to the community that people felt, oh, there's a little degree of normalcy here. I can at least have something. I mean, people were cooking for themselves, and I'm sure that was a neat thing too, that people got more into cooking, but it was so nice to not have to cook once in a while. And our guests who came in really were very generous and helpful to the staff that was here working. So that was something very appreciated. Uh, we got shut down twice in California, just to finish with that. But in between those, we got offered the ability to to create outside dining in a way that hadn't been true before. So that certainly helped after the second shutdown uh, when we came back from that, that we had something that we could where we could re- regain some of our earlier uh, service, although now it was outside. So. so let's talk about that outside dining area, you know, most affectionately known as parklets and all the the woes that have have ensued with the city Mm -hmm. after meeting and meeting and meeting um where where do you and opal fall in terms of you do have a parklet outside are you one of the restaurants that are able to keep it because you're in kind of that interesting zone Mm -hmm. where you're not quite downtown downtown you're more upper downtown and there is some traffic on on that specific section of State Street, if I'm not mistaken, correct? That's correct, yes. We, this whole situation was emergent from day one and it continues to be somewhat so. Um, but I will say, first of all, that the city was fantastic. When, when we first got hit with the shutdown and a few of us suggested the city, hey, maybe we could we could serve outside if you would love to see some of the city streets. We were all impressed and amazed with how quickly the city pivoted and allowed it to happen. It was, it was a wonderful uh, thing, not just for us, but also keeping some money flowing into the city coffers. Again, creating some sense of normalcy for for regular guests who could go out to eat again, you know, even in a, a limited or different fashion. Um, so as far as where we're at now, um, what we've tried to do along the way is have a collaborative relationship with the city, the city staff, very um, importantly and necessarily has regulations they have to stick to. There's things like the, the width of the fire line, so the parklets can't come out too far. Um, we have to make sure that there's ADA requirements. All of these things are very important, and we were very happy to collaborate. 
what I what I do feel is that uh, as some of those have been enforced, it would be good if uh, at times the city could be a little more entrepreneurial in their thinking of thinking ways how we could keep this going, especially since right now the city's engaged in a process of coming up with a master plan for State Street. So what we consider this now is a transitional time. And what we think would be important is to keep the park that's going, uh, keep outside, outside dining going while we get through this time until we see what the outlines of the master plan look like. Then if we have to make other changes, that would be good. But for now, what we would like to do is to be able to keep them. And it looks like we have something of a promise that we will. But as new guidelines come up, sometimes it makes it harder for us to be sure exactly how long we'll be able to keep them. So it's still kind of evolving, I would say. Well, you know, I'll never forget that when I first moved to Santa Barbara, I was shocked at how little outside dining in such this in in the in a climate such as ours that we actually had. And so I, I think that, you know, if you can say there are some silver linings of COVID, that that might be one of them where there might be a more liberal uh you know, or, or a more generous way for restaurants to be able to offer outside dining for the long term. I agree with you. I think I think it, it has been this tremendous opportunity that COVID offered to see, hey, here, maybe here's a, a resource of our town we haven't really been taking advantage of. We haven't really been offering it as a benefit, not just to, to locals, but to visitors. Like, you're right, there aren't many places in the country where you can potentially, and I would say almost every month, Dine out year round. Even uh, even we had a little rain not too long ago. That was a busy night here, and but we had a full parklet because people still wanted to sit outside. Uh, as long as it wasn't, you know, a major th thunder and windstorm. So I think there's a room for it, but we would and we would hope that um, that will be a, perceived as a benefit for the city as well as for the businesses. Uh, I think it's a win-win in that sense, and also just to lead into. Uh, this, I think it might be part of the way into the future for Santa Barbara because there's a lot of other issues on State Street that have to be addressed too. Absolutely. And I think as more and more people are drawn outside, I think it cleans up various issues, whether it be litter or things or things that people don't want to see in their in their downtown district. The more people that are bustling and the if the community is more alive it makes it an, an easy transition for sure and so let's talk a moment about the downtown santa barbara downtown organization as a a long-standing board member what is their role in the downtown corridor and where do you see you know that you in that organization being most effective well i think that what the downtown organization to date has done done well is to create some vibrancy and the energy of doing activations of getting people to come downtown they have uh weekly or, or monthly events so walk the block they have a band out on the street they've supported the holiday parade which has sort of stopped now because of the street being closed but they've also come up with an alternative set of activations on the date that would have been the parade and so and they have the Christmas tree lighting that they support. There are many, many things throughout the year that they do to, to bring the community into the downtown, not just to help the businesses to support them, but also to create the sense of community that we uh, that really benefits us all in Santa Barbara. And so it's a very important uh, organization to be part of in that sense, because creating a community that connects to each other and supports each other is what is what our town needs going into the future. Absolutely. And so let's talk a moment about, you know, what the arts organization or the arts as an acronym that you and some other business owners and have created in the Santa Barbara Arts District. So share with us your vision on that and, and really what that is. Oh, sure. Thank you, Diane, for asking that. Yes. In a sense, you might say we could consider ourselves a little, in one way, a subset of the downtown and that we focused on a certain area. Um, what we, what several of us felt in this upper part of downtown is when we were, we were very impressed with what the Funk Zone did. The Funk Zone did something wonderful. They, they turned what could have been a, a pejorative term for their area into a positive and they made it like a, a cool place to come to. And 
They made they, funk be hip. <laughs> they made funk be hip. I was, I was going to be careful how I pronounced all that. So. <laughs> but yes, they did a good job on that. And then we looked around at our area and we thought, well, wait a minute. We kind of already have art, many art galleries, restaurants. This is a culinary area, theaters and shopping. So the acronym just sort of dropped into place, A-R-T-S. And the, there's a lot of little intra- entrepreneurial um, new new boutique shops that have come up and about like in uh, Arlington Plaza or Victoria Court. Um, and other places on, in our area, which is roughly from, you might say, Korea or Figaro up to the 1300 block of State Street, Solo, where we are, and the side streets, um, one block east and west. And so there's sort of a nexus of, of energy in that area. And our goal there was to bring that same kind of excitement to an area that's actually kind of a little more locally focused. Like I feel like locals like coming to this area. There's times when you want to go down to the beach and enjoy all that there's times when you want to go to the area that's kind of the more comfortably locals part of town and i think that that plus the arts orientation of this area is kind of what gives us our appeal so we're we're taking something that organically exists and branding it basically you're listening to money talk on am 1290 and fm 96.9 and we'll be right back When you're farming a vineyard, you have 180 days to bring about a certain quality for the eventual wine. With a bank like American Riviera Bank, it's really comforting to have a partner that understands the agricultural landscape. Having people that communicate quickly with us, that are able to be flexible in how we're doing our business on a day-to-day basis has been a real strength in what we bring to our client base. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. You could save your friend, teacher, boss. So learn F-A-S-T, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-563-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So before the break, Richard, we were talking about the you know, cultural vibrancy organization that you're calling arts that basically runs from Figaro, Carrillo, Figueroa up until about Sola streets. And so let's, you have a website, I understand, and, you know, a map. So share with us the website for those of us listening that would like to check it out a little bit more in detail. Oh, yes. It's artsdistrictofsantabarbara.org, O-R-G. So it's yeah. Arts District of San- of Santa Barbara, all that written out? Yeah. .org. Great. Yeah. And so you're also running some promotions or have some special drinks or what have you. Um, tell us, how do you get one of those special drinks and where? Well, if you came in, even if we're not doing it now, I would, we, could, we could make one for you for sure. But, <laughs> but 
this was specific to an event we tied in with the panels on State Street, which is one of the creative artistic things that our town does. I know my firm sponsors one of those pianos. Oh, we did the cool. one a little bit closer to our office. So we were on the other side of Korea. So and I just feel sorry for those poor pianos because they must be out of tune fast. Being <laughs> <laughs> outside like that. But um, so what we what we did was we asked all the restaurants, or not all the restaurants, all the businesses in our area, that area you just described, to do some unique activation for that night. It was a Friday night, a few, I say about four or five weeks ago. And um, so some of us came up with unusual things and some of us just did an extension of their normal business. We decided to come up with a piano themed drink that we called the piano colada. And my bartender and I worked on this and um, figured out a way to take a stencil and actually stencil a set of piano keyboard keys on top of this fluffy white drink, <laughs> which was really fun. Um, so, it, and then I know that uh, Bouchon, he did something. He, we had an artist who paints with wine. Carlitos did, across the street did something. I know some of the local shops, Domicile and Lone Tree, and uh, some of them across the way there, Arlington Plaza, all did something neat that night, either a trunk show or they uh, focused on some special items that they were promoting that night. So in general, it was really just nice to see the whole area activate. And that's kind of what now, we're is, is the vision for this organization to do something on a more regular basis where you do something maybe quarterly or biannually or something along those lines? Yes, you're exactly right on that. We, we've uh, worked with on different themes of what we might do. Um, that's still emerging, but we do plan to have something at least. But what the event we just described, we called it Fall into Arts. And... And we're going to have a spring into arts event too. Um, so that we, we will plan something in the springtime and we're going to try to collaborate with everybody to do something we can all you know, get involved with. It could be, could be a fashion show. It could be a, a big spring sale. It could be something more event oriented like what we just described, but it'll, it'll be, whatever it is, it'll be fun. And it'll bring people out, not just to support businesses, but to, to share the community. Sorry, the communal experience of just getting together with everybody in the community and coming out and doing something fun. So that's kind of the plan. Well, definitely keep us abreast of all the details so we can get the help you get the word out because yeah. you know that's that's half the battle is definitely trying to get people to know what's going on and, and come downtown and and enjoy it. That is a super important part of it for sure. So then now we got to go into, we got to transition into the, the hard, the hard questions. Like, oh, yes. why did you stop serving lunch? Oh, lunch Neil question. and I were regulars. And then uh, after COVID, yeah. it, we can't go. I think the guilt is, is overwhelming at this point. But, uh, <laughs> uh, the first, it was all COVID related. The first one was when we first were allowed to start serving again, everybody was working remotely and our, Lunch was very much business lunch driven. So there really wasn't anybody in the area coming out. So the first time we didn't open for lunch, um, that was the main reason. We, we probably could have pulled enough staff together at that point. Then we were shut down again for a few months. And the second time, I'll, I'll bring up the thing I'm sure you've heard of, staffing shortages. Uh, it's been a real challenge for all businesses in the last few years. And nobody's quite sure exactly where all the workers went, but they sort of disappeared on <laughs> us. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, what we feel really fortunate about is when we did open it back up for dinner, all of our core people living with us, all of our front of the house staff, the, uh, the, the servers, uh, managers stuck with us, came back to work for us. Um, but that was it. And, and it was really hard, it's really slim pickings to find anybody that we felt was on the quality that we needed to do what we did well. But we did manage to do it. And it's getting better now, but we're still not out of the woods on that. So at this point, we still don't really feel we have the staffing to open for lunch. Now, do you think, you know, many restaurateurs have shared with me over the years that, you know, lunch is kind of that lost leader that you do to get your, the word out. So people come to dinner where you can actually, you know, make it make it, you know, feasible financially. Is it has was that the case for you as well, or is it hurting some of the profit, the bottom line, by not being open for lunch? I think it was pretty close to being a balance between those two. It wasn't it wasn't a huge part of, of our profitability, um, 
but it was a it was an important part of our community presence and we really missed that part of it so it was a hard decision to make but until we felt we had really had the right kind of people that we could could do it right and that meant kitchen staff too we didn't want to try to do anything less than what was our best so we've decided to focus on dinner for now you know what's interesting uh, a decision from one uh restaurant uh actually has an impact on the whole community because the more restaurants that are open the more vital the downtown area is and so uh it's unfortunate that you don't have the help because not only would it mean more business for you but the more restaurants that are open the more likely there's going to be traffic on the street that's a really good point now that is exactly the case as well and i i think i would just mention one other thing that um, is what i referred to earlier about people working remotely it's really interesting, but there have been changes that COVID has created that seem to be, at this point, fairly permanent. For instance, we were closed an hour earlier on weekends and weeknights than we were before, and that hasn't come back. And that's just because nobody was coming out after a certain point. And I, we thought for sure that would be something that would change. But it has remained that we close at 9 on weeknights and 10 on weekends, and that was something that surprised us. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. I wonder if people will start staying up later and going out longer. Mm -hmm. But those are the kind of, of societal shifts that that we're looking at when we try to decide about things like opening up for lunch. If we assuming we can get the staffing again, it's are some of these trends just completely new ways people are going to do things, and, and maybe some things won't come back to the wedding. So, we're, but we are monitoring it. We are always wanted to make the best decision for us and for the community. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And believe it or not, we'll be right back with our final segment. What defines our community? Is it the people, the businesses? Is it the ranches, vineyards, and farms? We think it's all of those. And we're committed to helping our communities thrive. Homeowners existing and new, businesses looking to grow or bring up the next generation, our regional agriculture managing their seasons, crops, and livestock. We're American Riviera Bank, and we invest in our communities. In you. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to Dr. Now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association in partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Remember, one less spark is one less wildfire. Have fun without fire. In many areas, use of campfires and charcoal cookers are not allowed. Make that an advantage. Stargazing is better without firelight. Or listen to the forest at night when creatures really prowl. Hike in the moonlight with a flashlight. Bundle up and enjoy the warmth while sensing the chill that wild things feel. Make camping different this weekend and camp without a spark. The California Statewide Fire Prevention Campaign thanks you for your cooperation. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank. Making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other drinks, other banks could only dream about. And we are speaking with Richard Yates, the owner of Opal Restaurant. And, you know, Richard, given your involvement in the downtown community, not only with the downtown organization, but also just your longevity and presence in downtown Santa Barbara, 
Tell us what you hope the future is for downtown Santa Barbara and State Street. You know, there's been a lot of discussion around what that master plan is going to be. Are there cars? Are there not cars? What does it look like? And in your perfect world, Richard, what does downtown Santa Barbara look like and State Street? I know it's kind of a loaded question, but. Well, it's it's loaded, but it's loaded with possibility as well as, as challenge. Um, I do think that, as I mentioned earlier, when, when the city allowed us to open up uh, and serve outside, create outside dining on the street, it really, it really took us in the direction of something that had been talked about for years. What should we do? Many, many, for many years, the conversation had been, had been tossed about, about whether we would open up State Street to just be pedestrian only. And we got the chance to do this experiment. And I think that what it, it did when we tried it, it really showed that this sort of more communal experiential way forward might be the future for Santa Barbara. We feel that it's definitely enlivened the whole street. And I, I think personally, not just to benefit restaurants, but I think for the community, I think having it closed to automobile traffic is, is one of the best things that we've ever tried. And it's working very well. We might still need to rein in the bikes a little bit. Apparently that's still a bit of an issue, but I know that's being worked on, but I believe it creates that that sense of communal dynamism that we didn't have before. And I think that will translate also uh, if we are able to encourage more businesses to come in on some of the storefronts that have been empty, you know, by perhaps uh, making it a little bit easier to get all the permits that we need and encourage the, the uh, property owners to, to be more flexible in how they charge rents. And so if we could do a couple of those steps, we could start getting some of the entrepreneurial mom and pop stores that I think would really create interesting shopping all up and down State Street. Many might say that Amazon has, has, has hurt retail. And I think that's true to an extent that it's hurt some kinds of retail. But I think it's left open the door for all these kind of interesting, unique shops that we that I think would really make Santa Barbara pop once again. So what I would like to see in, a, in my personal vision is for outdoor dining to be supported in a way that's safe and comfortable with all the city regulations. And also it is uh, in a way that allows for businesses to flourish in a way they haven't before. Absolutely. And I think that that is, you know, when I first moved here, that's what made Santa Barbara so unique, all those little mom and pops that you'd want to just go in and look and, and you'd buy something as opposed to, you know, the tourist where you just go in and buy a t-shirt, you know, it had the t-shirts, but it had fun and interesting things as well. Um, what comes to mind is Plum Goods, that that shop that was, you know, basically they closed with COVID. So mm -hmm. that's a very bright future, Richard, that you see for for State Street. And, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that you are working hard and others like you to make State Street and Santa Barbara be, you know, vibrant and, and full of life. And I think your organization is really um, going to help with that. Tell us that website one more time or where people can find out more about the arts. Um, ArtsDistrictCenterBarber.org. Or you could just Google that line and it'll take you right to it. It's the first thing that pops up. So. Thank you so much, Richard Yates, owner of Opal Restaurant. Uh, if you are like me and like to see them open for lunch, please email him and bother him and tell him he's got to open up. And if he oh doesn't God. have enough staff, please volunteer to be a staff person. Again, thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. Money Talk.